I apologised for five weeks ago. Um, I suddenly had to stay in hospital for three days and uh, it was rather unexpected. But um, I'm here now and I'm, I'm healthy. I had a thorough checkup while I was there so uh, I was very healthy, they found out, even after the hiccup. Um, I was thinking as um, the baptism was happening here, I thought, what an honour for Andrew to be able to baptise his daughter. Right? Fantastic. Two months ago, I had the, the great privilege and honour of baptising five people in the Jordan River. And uh, that was an awesome experience. And one of those people was my cousin. And she wanted to be baptised because she had gone through a horrible stage in her life where she was diagnosed of uh, having a terminal illness well praise God she's been healed and uh, she wanted to be baptized in the Jordan and it was a fantastic time with the other four people as well this morning I want to uh, share with you a message that God gave me five weeks ago and I thought well I now have the, op op uh, the opportunity to be able to bring it to you and before we do that, I just want to uh, read a passage from Scripture. It's 1 Peter chapter 2. It's a very well-known passage. And uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. And in there it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes man to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And these next two verses is what I want to focus on this morning. It says, there, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you have given it to us as a light for our path, a lamp to our feet. And Father, as we hear your word this morning explained, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may go out to these wonderful people here in this church and that all of these things may be applied into our lives 
and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hands up. Oh, you don't have to put your hand up if you don't want to, but hands up those people who were not born in Australia, who were born outside of Australia. There's quite a few of you. Quite a few of you. I came to Australia in 1952 as a migrant with my parents and um, we spent a short time in a, a migrant camp and then we moved to Geelong. And I went to school at Geelong West Primary School in September of 1952. And the reason I remember it so clearly is because I went into that classroom on the first day and I could not understand a word the teacher was saying. Not a word. Just recently, three months ago, we were in Holland, where I was born, and I have no problems in Holland. I can understand everything. But then we went for a, a week trip to France. Couldn't understand a thing. Nothing. And you feel a little, little strange. You feel like you don't really fit in all that well because I think language is a big thing when it comes to that. It's similar to when we go to Israel and Jordan. You, most of you know, or many of you do know, that we regularly go to Israel. And I still don't know the language. I know how to read Hebrew a bit, but how to translate it is always a, a, a rather difficult thing. So when the, our guide and our driver are talking to each other in Hebrew, I'm wondering what they're talking about. Are they talking about me or are they talking about what? But again, you, you feel like you're a bit of a stranger, uh, almost an alien in, an, in a country where you were not raised and not born. And today, as Christians, as people who follow Jesus Christ, we can often feel like a stranger in the world. We can often feel like a stranger in this world. Yeah, there's so much anti-Christian stuff going on that we start to wonder, where do we fit in? And it's particularly so in the media. And it's getting worse. So how should Christians, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ respond to what is going on? How do we face up to the persecution that happens so often? How should we as Christians conduct ourselves in a world that is so non-Christian? And what I mean by that is, it's where the community does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. How are we to understand our situation in this world. Well, let me say right from the word go, right from the start, this world is not my permanent home. I have a much better place waiting for me. The starting point in knowing how to live and having 
the right kind of perspective about our place in the world is outlined a little bit in this letter that uh, Peter wrote. And um, Peter has been putting lives into proper perspective right through his letters. He is saying, we are chosen of God. We belong to him. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, something that we celebrated with communion. We've been given a new birth into a living hope. And there's a glorious future that awaits us. We're being built into the temple of God. Now, having said that, the world does not share that opinion of Christians. And for us as Christians, life can be quite rough. We're being slandered, we're being persecuted, and it's getting more and more difficult to go on. And why is this happening? And, and how are we to look at this? How are we to go around in our world? You, you only have to look at the whole situation with people like Israel Folau and just this past week, Margaret Court again. It's a sad situation. Well, the first thing I want to say is that we as Christians must understand our place in the world. And Peter calls us loved ones. That is the actual Greek term. The NIV, where I read from, it says, Dear friends. Well, the actual translation from the original language is loved ones. It's a little bit different, isn't it? Because I think dear friends seems to just miss the emphasis. It's not so much that these people are loved by Peter as they are by God. He just said to them, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he says, now you, beloved of God, you are aliens and strangers in the world. And the original language term for aliens is the same as where, uh, what it is referred to in an earlier verse, in chapter 1, verse 17, where it talks about strangers. And it, it, we are to live our lives in what Peter calls reverent fear. He originally addressed them as God's elect, strangers in a world. The same term translated as strangers here. And the second term translated strangers is used of foreigners living in a different land for a period of time. And it would be the term applied to us as travellers. When we go somewhere, we are in a temporary situation. Those of us who were born in other countries and live here in Australia, we are now in a permanent situation. But the first term, alien, speaks to the uh, status or lack of status to certain foreigners. Peter is saying, this world 
is not our home. This world is not our home. It's not where our citizenship belongs. And this understanding of our position in the world is critical to understanding what is happening and how we should respond to the things that go on around us. So what is meant by not being citizens? Don't Christians have the same rights as non-Christians? Well, I say yes and no. A danger we often make in interpreting the Bible is taking a concept and carrying it further than what the passage is actually saying. To the Christians Peter is writing, he would affirm that they are citizens of their particular country. He would affirm that they are the same as their neighbours in having a place in their community. So the difference is not about rights and privileges, it's about our own perspective of what really matters and where we actually belong. Now an immigrant to this country may become a naturalised citizen and yet they may still consider themselves or, or uh, him or herself as not really a citizen because their heart belongs to their original country. Because that is the land that warms the heart. The customs of that land hold meaning to them. And I've got to say, even as a five-year-old who came to Australia, and now, 68 years later, yes, I'm 73, 68 years later, I still like the customs of the country where I was born. You know, it's in the same way we may be citizens of the world, but our hearts really don't belong here. We may enjoy the blessings of the world, we may make our own contribution to the world, but there is a greater world to which we belong. It's called the kingdom of God. And that's where our allegiance should be. And if that's the case, the rights and privileges of this world should not be our primary interest. And it's the it is the cause of that other world that now motivates us. And that's the point that Peter is trying to make. We belong to God. We are His nation. And therefore, He wants of us, what He wants of us should be uppermost in our minds. So what does God want of his people? Well, we know that he wants us to declare his praises. And that's what we have done in the first part of this service. And I thank Carol and the team. They, they do a marvelous job. For a, a church this size, you have a fantastic music team. You really do. And uh, yeah, good on you. Amen to that. But it talks about glorifying. You know, scripture consistently uses that term to glorify of people who desire to glorify God with praise and obedience. That mic nearly got in the way. 
So what do we have so far? Christians are to understand themselves to not belong to this world, but to another, which is called the kingdom of God. And though we don't belong to this world, we nevertheless have a mission. And that is to lead others into the kingdom of God so that they too can glorify God as well. And that now gives perspective to the, the two of the most fundamental issues or challenges that we face in our Christian life. You know what they are? They are called sinful desires and good behaviour. And in regard to the first, Peter says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And the literal term that is used here is fleshly lusts, lusts or desires. And of course, our natural assumption that we make is that Peter is referring to sexual sins. But in keeping with the context and all other scriptural references with this term, sinful desires, it embraces a whole spectrum of desires that we have. It's, a, it's much wider than just one aspect. So what are those sinful desires? Well, one way that commentators describe them is that they are uncontrolled desires. That's what lust is. A desire that has become extremely strong in your life. The desire itself may be neutral or even good. We can enjoy good food. We can enjoy a good time. But the problem is carrying that desire to the next level or too far. With every desire, we must exercise a certain amount of restraint. Otherwise, the desire becomes a lust and it starts to control you and it carries you over the boundaries of what is right. You know, but I, pre I prefer to focus on that first word, sinful or fleshly. The, the problem with the desires is that the desires themselves are often misdirected towards sinful ends. For example, the lust for food is not so much a problem of uncontrolled desire for good food as it is of a self-centered desire for personal pleasure. Food is merely a tool to satisfy the self. What we all want is to have personal pleasure. We want to, as much as we can get, as often as we can get it. And Peter is telling his readers to abstain from these kinds of desires. Don't engage in them. Why? Because these sinful desires are often out to destroy the very people who are controlled by them. He says that they war against your soul. They hate you. They want to destroy you and any good that you can do. And if you're not in the grasp, in the hold of Jesus Christ, you lose your soul in hell. It's as straightforward as that. So negatively, we are to abstain from sinful desires so that we protect ourselves from doing ourselves harm. Positively, Peter says, 
We are to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. You've you got to remember that the Christians to whom Peter is writing are being slandered. Is it any different today? No. Christians back then were actually considered atheists. Did you know that? They were actually considered atheists because they had no visible God. That's who Peter was writing to. So how do we best counteract slander? Well, Peter says, by living such good lives that the slander is made to look silly. And Peter's interest is not limited to Christians maintaining their reputations. His concern is through their good lives, they will win their neighbours to the gospel. Because he says, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And as I was thinking about that this week, when I was going through this message again, I was thinking that whole situation with Margaret Court. She lives a good life. She helps people. She loves people. And yet she is being slandered for one thing, and that is disagreeing with same-sex marriage. Think carefully through the implications of Peter's teaching. You know, one, a person, anybody could take these verses and conclude that Christianity is about cutting out fun. It's an easy interpretation that is often made by non-Christians, and especially when they observe the lives of professing Christians. Christians are often seen as self-righteous people, unable to enjoy life themselves, and they are, they are seen as deter being determined to spoil the life of others. I would have to say that there is sometimes a measure of truth to that kind of observation because there is a strain of Christianity that is focused on law and abstaining or completely cutting themselves off from anything in the world. Its religious observance is characterized by a long face, suspicion, And it's because of the emphasis on law, and especially law-keeping as a means of pleasing God. You know that that is works-oriented? I was brought up that way. I was brought up to do all the right things, and especially, especially of what we were allowed to and not allowed to do on a Sunday. It was quite incredible, all the extra little laws that came in. Yeah, all Christians seeking to honour the Lord wrestle to one, one degree or another with keeping a proper perspective on the pleasures of life. When does appreciation for beauty cross over to lust? When does appreciation for good food cross over to gluttony? And I could go on. This is the very thing that we are criticised for by the secular world. They say that we Christians have hang-ups about indulging in the pleasures of life. 
Everything is an enemy to us. And it's, we need to throw off the, our inhibitions, enjoy the natural pleasures of life. We need to assimilate, we need to fit in. There was a letter to a magazine that said this. I'll read it out to you. You know it's out there, a wonderful, wide, open world filled with adventure, passion, opportunity and all kinds of special turn-ons. And you want a generous taste of it all. You've always craved excitement, always loved being out front and ahead of the crowd, searching for new ways to satisfy your desire and fulfill your fantasies, to make the most of what you've got and enjoy your great life. So how do you react to that statement? Maybe you think, well, it's a bit crazy because it just appeals to personal self-centered desires. Perhaps it strikes a chord with you because it expresses your inner desire to experience pleasure. In either case, if you are a Christian or at least have Christian values, you undoubtedly sense some kind of conflict between the world's take on pleasure and that of a Christian. There's a conflict, but not along the lines that we might think. The conflict is not between those who desire pleasure and those who abstain from it. Rather, it is between those who are satisfied with less and those who want more. Now, I didn't read the first part of that letter. And it says this. The magazine is all about you and everything you want. Fashion, beauty, style, travel, people, sensational sex, and a ton of fun. Now, you know what that magazine is? The magazine is for teenage girls. This magazine has a dedication on it. It says it's dedicated to a simple, straightforward goal, helping you get everything you want out of life. And you know that in a sense, we can be a little bit sympathetic to that goal. The problem with this magazine's premise is, and the world, the world's is not the pursuit of pleasure, but the avenues in which this pleasure is, is uh, sought out. The problem with the avenues taken is that they are cheap substitutes that rob their readers of true, lasting joy. When you heard me read this, I hope that you concluded that this magazine knows nothing about real pleasure, real joy. Because real joy comes from doing what you were really made to do, to do what you really want, and that is living out our purpose in life. You know, the magazine might help those that read it get some cheap thrills, but it won't take you to the heights of joy for which you were created. It actually takes you away from those heights. Because you were created to glorify God. 
You were created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. As uh, John Piper, well-known author, puts it, he says, You were created to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. You know that that uh, is a statement in the Westminster Catechism? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And I think it's a beautiful statement. That's what we are made to do as Christians by taking delight in Him and in the blessings that He gives you each day. And what has God given you? We celebrated it earlier. He has given you salvation. He, uh, we've been redeemed. We've been given a new birth into a living hope of glory, of joy, beyond what anything we can experience today. And you know what? It'll last for eternity. Meditate on that. Meditate on those blessings that you get every day of your lives because that's a pleasure that you can really enjoy so much. But as if that was not enough, God gives us blessings now to enjoy. And what are they? Well, there's a few things. One of those is a, a blessing of doing good for others. We're not made to be selfish, to please our own egos. We do, now, we do that now because we've fallen into sin. Our bent is to go that way and we're, we're satisf satisfied now with the cheap thrills that we, that we can get in our sinful condition. Those cheap thrills pull us away from what really matters and is fulfilling. You know, it, it reminded me of having, a, uh, when you're having a conversation with something, somebody, in a living room, for, um, for example, and there's a TV going. You know, the TV can draw your attention away from the conversation that you are having with the person near you. It diverts your attention. And that's the kind of sinful desires that Peter is talking about. They divert your attention from the real business and joy of glorifying God and being a blessing to others around you. They demoralize you and keep you from becoming what you can be in Jesus Christ. But as those redeemed in Jesus, recreated, born again, if you like, using the well-known term, recreated in Him, we are being restored day by day to our original condition of desiring and glorifying God. You know, we struggle daily between cheap pleasures and the real pleasures. But as we're able to, to comprehend the greatness of Christ's redemption and as we engage in the activities of doing good to others, we find pleasure and joy beyond what we have ever known in trying to live for ourselves. And the greatest joy we can know here in this life 
is the joy of leading others to Jesus. It's one of the best things ever. We need to keep our focus. We need to keep our focus, especially in this world in which we live and the anti-Christian stuff that goes on around us all the time. We need to keep our focus. Otherwise, we turn even worship and service into cheap, sinful desires. You know, that, that can be a danger for sincere Christians. We turn our calling as Christians into a calling to focus on ourselves. Have you ever thought about that? We can study the Bible for our own growth. We can pray for our own needs. We can fellowship together for our own encouragement. But remember this. We live in a kingdom where we are called for the purpose of extending that kingdom. Now the battle, the war that's waged against our souls is not simply about our welfare but to keep us battling for the souls of others. We are to declare God's praises that others also may come and declare his praises. We are to live good lives that others may be won over and also give glory to God. To live for God's glory, that is what life is is all about that is what true pleasure and lasting joy is all about open your eyes to Jesus Christ and what he has done for us lift yourselves up to the glory of God and I can assure you when you do that you will get everything that you want everything keep your eyes focused on Jesus and as I was thinking about this my message that new song that uh, you that Carol taught us before there's a third person or is an extra person in the fire all the time with us and that is God himself He's always there with us, even going through hard times when we're being persecuted because we love Jesus. He is there with us, walking with us in the fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are always there with us. Even during the times when Things are very, very tough. Father, you are there with us. In the fiery furnace of everyday life, you walk with us. And so we thank you. We thank you that we can know that Jesus is there. And we thank you that we can know that we have a place waiting for us. And that this place, this earth, is not our permanent home. 
So, Father, I pray for every person here this morning that you will encourage them, that you will lead their lives to focus upon you and to glorify you each day. And that through their lives, Father, others may come to know and see Jesus in them and say, I want this. I want this life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each person here. And I pray a rich blessing upon everyone today. In Jesus' name. Amen.